This morning, I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 11, and uh, I've titled this sermon, The Gospel That Unites, Part 2. And you'll see why as we read uh, this text uh, this morning, The Gospel gospel That Unites, uh, Part 2. Listen to the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now, the apostles and the brothers were throughout, who were throughout Judea heard that the, that the Gentiles also received the Word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, and looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven." And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent, from, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorify God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word to no one except Jews. Interesting. (laughs) But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand 
of Barnabas and Saul. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we need you as we do every week, as we do every time we open up your Word. We need you to do that work by the power of the Spirit, speaking your Word into our heart to transform us, to mold us and shape us after the image of your Son. Father, we need you this morning to speak to us by the power of your Spirit in Jesus' name and help us to understand your Word and apply it to our lives. And so as we all sit under the authority of your Word, we pray this morning that you would do that work in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. In his sermon, Remaining Awake Through a Great Revolution, the Reverend Martin Luther King wrote, we must face the sad fact that, ele- that at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, when we stand to sing in Christ there is no east or west, we stand in the most segregated hour in America. This week I was reading an article entitled Multiracial Churches May Not Bridge the Racial Divide, where the author writes, the number of multiracial churches has actually been growing in the United States. A recently completed survey of congregations by Mark uh, Chavis of Duke University and analyzed by Chavis Michael Emerson, now at the University of Illinois, Chicago, Kevin Doherty of Baylor University, found that the share of churches defined as multiracial with at least one out of five members from a minority background grew from 6% in 1998 to 16% in 2019. During that time, however, those multiracial churches did not themselves become significantly more diverse. The African-American membership share in those churches grew only slightly from 16 to 21% and actually declined between 2012 and 2019. The white membership share in multiracial churches from 1998 to 2019 remain nearly unchanged at about 50%. King's quote, Martin Luther King's quote, which is still true today, and stats, stats, statistics like those presented in this article, only point to the truth of how difficult it is in our culture to pursue the goal that the Scriptures lay out for us, to be a united community of witnesses for Christ across all the lines of division that the Bible lays out to us. And particularly across the lines of ethnicity, we continue to find it hard to practice those patterns laid out to us by our Lord that will enable us to demonstrate to the world the new humanity that we are called together to be. And I tried to make this clear on last Sunday that the gospel, when preached rightly, leads to ethnic unity. The gospel, when preached rightly, leads to ethnic unity. And it leads there because on the one hand, it checks our sin, the sin that erects those obstacles that create division and disunity. It leads there on the other hand because it points us toward those patterns that when practiced regularly in the church through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us in overcoming those obstacles. Make no mistake about it, the problem isn't rooted in God. 
or in the scriptures or even in evangelical theology proper. I mean, I contend that the teachings of the confession we hold to in our denomination mitigates against our current status quo practices of ethnic division. No, the problem isn't to be found in what God has said or even in what we have agreed upon confessionally that God has said. The problem is us. The problem is our sinful, stubborn hearts and the practices that flow from those sinful, stubborn hearts. And this is why the gospel and the practices that flow from it are our ultimate foundation in moving in a positive direction and becoming the united community of witnesses to Christ. It is because the gospel, it is because the gospel, in the gospel, not only are our sins forgiven, glory be to God, but we are then empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome those obstacles and to practice those patterns that lead to the very unity that Christ bled and died for, according to Revelation 5. So what exists, what exists in the church in terms of our divisions exists only to the degree that we are unwilling to believe the gospel. They exist only to the degree that we are unwilling to believe the gospel, to repent of our sins, and to walk in the newness of life that Christ calls us to. And I've been preaching on these things for a while now and saying that the practices of that newness of life are not unclear in the Scriptures, neither are the obstacles that stand in the way of it. So this morning, I want us to look at this passage and I want us to see that in it we are presented with two churches. We are presented with two churches. One church is presented to us as a church needing to overcome that set of obstacles that must be overcome if we are to walk in ethnic unity. And the other church as a church learning to walk in that set of patterns that we must be prepared to practice regularly in the church if we're going to walk in ethnic unity. We have two churches presented to us this morning. One presents us with the obstacles we need to overcome, and the other presents us with the patterns that we need to put into practice. And let me be clear, let me be clear, Jerusalem and Antioch present us with those two churches. But listen to me, the Jerusalem church in this text is God's church. The church in Jerusalem is God's church. The church in Antioch is God's church. They present us with obstacles to overcome and patterns to practice, but they are both churches of the living God. And the obstacles in Jerusalem don't make them less of a church of God than do the patterns that are being practiced in Antioch. So what can we learn from these two churches, from this text, to help us in our journey, New City, toward being a church that is promoting ethnic unity in our community and abroad? So let's look first this morning at the church in Jerusalem, and let's look at the obstacles that must be overcome. I want to start by saying that the first obstacle is the wax problem. 
That's right, W-A-X, the wax problem. In order for the church, or in order, I should say, in order for the cause of ethnic unity to be advanced in the church, we have to get the wax out of our spiritual ears. In verse 1, we are told, now the apostles and the brothers who are throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the Word of God. They heard, but they weren't listening. They heard that the Gentiles had received the Word of God. The same Word, by the way, that they had received had been received by the Gentiles. And yet a group of them, a group of them, the circumcision party, decided to take Peter to task about going into the home of these Gentiles and eating with them. We'll get to that in a second. What I want us to note from the jump is the lack of listening that often impacts our ability to pursue ethnic unity in the church. I want to suggest that this listening involves two things. It involves paying attention to what the Lord says and paying attention to what He does. The apostles and brothers heard, but they didn't listen. But Peter in this instance did, and he shows us in his recounting of the story to the other apostles and brothers in Jerusalem. Peter says this in verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as, it, uh, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gifts to them as, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter on this occasion was listening. His spiritual ears were open. He paid attention to what God did in drawing the Gentiles to himself, drawing them to faith in himself. He paid attention to that, but then he paid attention by remembering the words that the Lord had spoken about the Spirit being poured out on those who believe. The reason Peter was able to take the big step of accepting the Gentiles as equal members of the family, which was evidenced by his eating with them, was because he was listening. He was listening. He was paying attention to God's Word and to God's actions among the Gentiles. And I would suggest that one of the obstacles we have to overcome in our day is our failure to listen to the Scriptures as it relates to God's purposes to create a cross-cultural community of witnesses for Himself, our lack of attention, our lack of attention to the ways that God is already at work in our community, drawing men and women and children to Himself from among the peoples He has placed there. As Christians, we simply don't put ourselves in spaces with people who are not like us to hear and see the ways that God is drawing them to Himself. If God is after cross-cultural community, a cross-cultural community of witnesses, then we should expect that if we place ourselves in spaces where people are, He will use us to draw those people into His family. Peter listened to the Lord and went to Cornelius' home. And it led not only to Cornelius' salvation, but the salvation of his whole household and his friends, his close friends, who he had brought to his home. Our problem is that we got wax, spiritual wax in our ears. We don't know how to listen to the Scriptures, which call us to this unity, and we don't know how to pay attention to what God is doing among us to draw people to Himself.
So one of the things we have to learn how to do is we have to learn how to listen. That's one of the obstacles. The other obstacle is that uh, I call it the wrong seat problem. The wrong seat problem. In order for the cause of ethnic unity to be advanced in the church, we have to overcome our belief that we get to determine, outside of what Christ says in the Scriptures, the basis of fellowship in the church. The circumcision party was a group of Jewish believers who held to the strictest social distinctions between themselves and the Gentiles. They believed the laws in Leviticus were still binding on Christians, and since the Gentiles had customs and practices that violated those laws, they believed that associating with them socially led the Jews to breaking those laws. So in their minds, for Peter to go into the home of a Gentile and to eat with them was a gross violation of God's law. So in their minds, for, for him to do that was a violation of God's law, but God had already declared, right, through the saving of Cornelius' household and the saving of the Ethiopian before him and the saving of the Samaritans before, before him, right, that, that, this, that the gross violation was not in God's Word. The gross violation was actually ours, theirs. And I'm here to tell you this morning, and I want you to hear me, that any and all segregating practices rooted in ethnic superiority are a gross violation of the gospel of Christ. When God gave Peter the vision, when God gave Peter the vision, He gave him encouraging Peter to eat food he had never eaten before. God was indicating that in Christ, those barriers that kept Jews and Gentiles separated from one another were done away with. Now in Christ, cultures that were separated from each other are now on the basis of His fulfillment of the law and His dying because of our breaking of it, that we're brought together into one family. No more dividing walls, no more legal hurdles, no more cultural hoops. God's Word spoken through His Son, the Word of salvation proclaimed by Him and fulfilled by His death and resurrection from the grave is the final word on the matter. What I have cleansed, do not call common. The people I created in my image and after my likeness, do not call inferior. Do not call dogs. Do not call subhuman. Do not call three-fifths. Do not call racial slurs of any kind. Do not call trash. My fellowship table is for the nations, and there is only one person who gets to sit at the head of that table and determine who gets to sit around it and on the basis which, which they get to sit around it, and that is the triune God. The triune God has already determined that membership is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And if ethnic unity is going to be advanced in the church, we have to stop thinking that the head seat is ours and that we get to set the basis of membership. The circumcision party thought that they got to set the rules, but Peter's recounting of the story reminded them that membership in the family is set by God and not by us. And we need to remember that today. The problem today is that people come into our churches and the unspoken communication regarding membership is all too clear. Did you hear what I just said? The unspoken communication about membership is too clear. If you're not in our political camp, you need not apply. If you're not educated, you need not apply. If you're not middle class, you need not apply. 
And the list goes on and on and on. If we're going to be a multi-ethnic community, then we need to get out of Christ's seat and stop basing membership on things other than what Christ has stated in His Word. Amen, people of God. One last obstacle. I call it the business-as-usual problem. So we have the wax problem, the wrong seat problem, and the business-as-usual problem. In order for the cause of ethnic unity to be advanced in the church, we have to move beyond the theological nod. That's what I'm calling it, the theological nod, that thing we do where we acknowledge something as right verbally to embrace. We've got to move from that to embrace the deep body life changes that need to take place in order for the church to be accessible to people from among all the nations. In verse 18, we are told this, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, at first glance, this verse may seem to indicate that they all got it, that even the circumcision party was now convinced, right? (laughs) But that first glance would be a mistaken one. Note, I want you to pay attention, note that they glorify God that the Gentiles receive repentance unto life. In other words, they glorify God that salvation had now come to the Gentiles. Amen. Those folk can now receive the gospel and put their faith in Jesus, and now they can be saved. Amen. God is the God of the nations. He is the God who is calling people from all over the world to Himself. But wait a minute, was that the thing that they were taking Peter to task for? Were they taking him to task because he shared the gospel with the Gentiles and they believed it? The answer, as we have seen, is no. They weren't upset that the Gentiles were coming to faith. They were upset that Peter went into the home of a Gentile and ate with them. They were upset that Peter fellowshiped with them, indicating, indicating that the social separation was to be no more. And what I'm suggesting is that they glorified God because of Gentile salvation, but as it pertains to social fellowship, it was business as usual. <laughs> now, I know what some of you were thinking, like, where, where, Pastor, where are you getting that from? Well, in Galatians 2, Paul references an encounter that he has with the apostle Peter when Peter visited Antioch. The visit took place after Paul went up to Jerusalem to take the offering from the church in Antioch to Jerusalem, which was mentioned at the end of chapter 11. We'll get to that in a minute. So Paul took that, Barnabas and Paul took that offering up to Jerusalem, and then at some point, either, either Peter came back with them or some point afterwards, Peter came down to Antioch to visit the church there. By the way, it's likely that when Paul went up to Jerusalem to take that offering was when he shared with the apostles and the church the gospel he had been preaching, the gospel which he later tells us about in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. So after that visit, Peter comes to Antioch to visit the church there. He comes there, and while he's there, he's fellowshipping with the Gentiles in Antioch. I mean, he is having a good time with his Gentile brothers and sisters in Antioch. Just like he had eaten with Cornelius in his home, he's now having social fellowship with the Gentiles, and they're eating food together, and he's hanging out with them, and they're having a good old time. 
I don't know, Tanya, maybe they had some Pappy's barbecue going on there. I don't know. But he's having a good time. And then something happens. Some brothers from Jerusalem come down to Antioch. And when they did, Peter separates himself from fellowship with the Gentiles. And I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that those who came down were a part of that same circumcision party that had questioned him when he came back to Jerusalem at the, in Acts chapter 10. That same group that had confronted Peter in Jerusalem about eating with Cornelius and his household now comes down to Antioch to visit. They see Peter eating with the Gentiles. Peter, they have some kind of conversation with them, and Peter separates himself from the Gentiles. And things got so bad, Paul says, that even Barnabas was drawn into Peter's hypocrisy and separated himself from the Gentiles. Yeah, Barnabas, the one who came and got me to come down to Antioch to help him preach the gospel to the Gentiles, that Barnabas did the same thing Peter was doing. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I'm suggesting that we can give the theological nod to ethnic unity, and yet our practices of ethnic exclusion can remain intact. Until we start looking at our structures, our customs, our practices, to see if they are exclusionary and then change them where they are, we will keep doing the same things that we've been doing. The business as usual hurdle has to be overcome if the pursuit of ethnic unity is going to grow in the church. And I just want to suggest to you that overcoming all these obstacles requires us to lovingly call them out when we see them. It's to do what Peter did in not only telling the story of what God did in his own experience, but reminding them of the words of the Lord. To do what Paul did with Peter in calling him out for not walking in line with the gospel. Peter Peter reminded the circumcision party at first of what the Lord himself said and how it applied to the particular situation he had encountered in the home of Cornelius. And I'm suggesting that we have to read and even learn how to read our scriptures in light of God's commitment to ethnic unity, to know where to apply that word to the circumstances in our churches locally and denominationally. Amen. There are obstacles to overcome. Jerusalem presents us with those. If you'll give me just 10 minutes, I'll give you the patterns that we now have to put into practice which the church in Antioch points out for us. First of all, I want to encourage us in this first pattern, which I'm calling the missionary mindset. In order for the cause of ethnic unity to be advanced in the church, we have to adopt the mindset of these biblical missionaries who took the gospel, deposited it into their culture, and began to deposit it in other cultures. I mentioned earlier that we have to overcome the obstacle of business as usual. In verse 19, we see this exhibited from those who had been scattered because of the persecution of Stephen. Even though they were in foreign lands, pay attention to what I'm about to say. Even though they were in foreign lands, they preached the gospel not to the people of those lands, they they preached the gospel to the Jews only. That is, those who had been scattered, called by God to be His witnesses in Judea, Samaria, uh, the uttermost parts of the earth, those folk, when they were scattered, did not preach the gospel to the nations that they were scattered to. They preached the gospel to the Jews only. 
Even though they were in foreign lands, they preached the gospel, not to people of those lands, but only to their own people. But some of those Jewish brothers, some of these Jewish believers, understood that Christ was not Lord of their people only, but Lord of all the peoples of the earth. And so they preached the gospel to the Greeks in Antioch. By the way, the word Hellenists can refer to Greek-speaking Jews or it can refer to Greek-speaking Gentiles. And it's obvious that Luke has Gentiles in mind here since he just mentioned in the previous verse that only the Jews had been preached to prior to the mission in Antioch. So these Jewish folk had, had reached Antioch, when they reached Antioch, decided to preach the gospel there to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. And what happened? What happened when they did that? What does the Word of God say? It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, ethnic unity is advanced by having a missionary mindset. That is a mindset that says we're going to share the gospel with whomever God has placed around us, recognizing that the one who deposited the gospel into our culture is at work to do the same in other people's culture. It is is remarkable to me to see churches in areas where there is ethnic or socioeconomic diversity and yet not see people that make up that diversity in the church. Churches right down the street from trailer parks with no one from that area in the church or churches in the midst of ethnic diversity that don't reflect that diversity. We almost seem satisfied with the arrangement, satisfied to take the gospel to our own people. New city, new city. Let's keep asking God to give us a missionary mindset, a mindset that looks to take the gospel to those among us whom God has planted among us and not to our own people only. Amen, people of God. So we need a missionary mindset. We also need a perseverance mindset. (laughs) In order for the cause of ethnic unity to be advanced in the church, we have to be committed to the long-term process of building each other up across the lines of division ethnically and every other division by extension. Notice what happens after the gospel is preached to the Greeks in Antioch. A church is formed, a church that includes Jews who preached the gospel in Antioch and those Gentiles who believed it. So now you have a Jew-Gentile church that has just been formed in Antioch. And when when Jerusalem heard about this, the leader sent Barnabas down to check it out. And when Barnabas got there, he was impressed. The text says, verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Pay attention to what he just said. The grace of God was being manifested in this multi-ethnic church of people who had never done this together socially in this way, and yet the grace of God was being manifested among them. And so he exhorted his newly formed, this newly formed ethnically diverse congregation to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose or with one heart. That phrase, with steadfast purpose, has new meaning. It has new meaning in a congregation that is now made up of different people groups. It's one thing to say, be a steadfast heart, and everybody's like you. Y'all believe the same thing politically. Y'all believe the same thing about what you should eat and where you should dress, blah, 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 so on and so forth. It's another thing when you put people together who are nothing alike, and then you tell them, be steadfast of one heart. That's a whole lot harder to do across ethnic lines. 
There's a little more work involved in learning how to have the same heart, the same purpose in the Lord when you're not from the same people. And Barnabas knew this. So what did he do? Barnabas knew it. So what did he do? Verse 25 and 26a says this. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Barnabas said, I know somebody who knows what to do. I know a guy who understands that the gospel is meant to create this very community. And he'll know what to do. And what happens? Listen to what happens in verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas together, taught the church for a whole year, building them up in what it meant to be God's people together, to remain steadfast in their faithfulness to Christ. In other words, they taught them what it would look like to persevere in this newly formed, ethnically diverse congregation. You see, this kind of community, brothers and sisters, doesn't just happen. It comes about as we are built up, as we are taught how to persevere together. And I have no doubt that that Paul and Barnabas knew what this church was going to confront. He knew that they knew the obstacles that this church was going to be confronted with, the, the pains, the struggles, the wrestles, the critics. They knew it. Jews and Gentiles eating together? What's next? What's next? Are they going to start getting married? So not long after this, this community was indeed faced with critics and doubters, people who were going to actively work to undo what the gospel had created in this church. They're going to come face to face with the circumcision party when Paul confronts Peter and Antioch in front of the whole church. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine what it must have felt like when Peter, who had been their friend, broke fellowship with them? Can you imagine what those Gentile Christians must have felt like when Peter, the apostle of the Lord, was hanging out with them and socially fellowshipping with them? Can you imagine what they must have felt like when Peter decided, when his Jewish friend showed up, that he didn't want anything to do with them? Can you imagine what that must have felt like for this newly formed church? To see Peter walk away, to see him separate himself from him on no other basis than that they were Gentiles? I'm preaching today. Brothers and sisters, this work is not easy. It costs you friendships. Can I get a witness? It costs your friendships. It costs it, 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 it cost your family relationships, right? It, 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 it costs something to do this kind of work together. And we need perseverance. We need to be taught from the Scriptures how to hang in there with each other, how to hang in there when we're rubbing each other wrong, when we're saying the wrong things to each other, when we're, when we're assuming the wrong things about each other, when we, when, 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 you know, when, when we say that stupid thing, right, that, 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 that you want to put it back inside of your mouth. Like as soon as it comes out, you're like, I want to rewind that thing and put it back in there. We need perseverance. We need to learn how to hang in there with each other. And that's what Barnabas and Paul were doing with this congregation, teaching them perseverance in this new relationship. 
It's not easy. It doesn't just happen. It has critics and opponents. So where do we get that perseverance? We get it from patiently listening to the Scriptures, patiently listening to one another, and patiently taking all of our doubts and our fears and our questions and laying them at the feet of the Lord. We need perseverance. Last thing we need, last pattern that we need to put into practice is the family mindset. The family mindset. In order for the cause of ethnic unity to be advanced in the church, we have to adopt a family mindset where we're moved to respond in generosity to the needs of our brothers and sisters, even when they are at odds with us. (laughs) Man, despite the beef that is going to come later for this growing community of believers in Antioch, they exhibit something that is profoundly important to practice in building up ethnic unity. It was prophesied that there would be a famine that would affect the whole world of that day. And in the course of time, it came about. So watch what the Church of Antioch does. Hearing that the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem needed relief, they gathered an offering from among those who have the ability to give and sent that offering to Jerusalem to help the church there. They sent it by the hand of Barnabas and Saul, leaders in the church at Antioch. Here was a group of believers made up of Jews and Gentiles, a church soon to be criticized, a church soon to be criticized by some of the members of the church in Jerusalem. Indeed, Paul mentions this in the first part of Galatians 2 where he writes, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that it might bring us into slavery. That's right. A church whose freedom in Christ in terms of their fellowship across ethnic lines, some sought to destroy. That church was moved by the Lord to send aid to the church where those who sought to destroy them resided. The Gentiles and Jews, this multi-ethnic community of people who were being criticized by some of their brothers in Jerusalem, when they found out their brothers in Jerusalem were in need, they gathered together an offering and sent it to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. In other words, for their part, Antioch was behaving like family to Jerusalem, even when some in Jerusalem were not behaving like family to them. The church, which was learning how to be family to one another, learning how to care for one another across ethnic lines, now demonstrates their maturity in the Lord by helping those in the family, even those who were their critics. And they did it not by compromising any of their beliefs about the gospel, about the community that the gospel created among them. No, they stood their ground on the fact that the gospel calls for this very unity. Paul said it this way in Galatians, in that Galatians passage I just referenced. He says this in verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. But when they saw that the church in Jerusalem was in need, they responded with generosity and love because, oh, by the way, that is what the gospel calls us to do. And watch this. In this way, the church in Antioch was actually teaching the church in Jerusalem what genuine Christianity looks like. And that's why 
the believers were first called Christians, not in Jerusalem, but in Antioch. Because in Antioch, these Christians were learning how to love each other across ethnic lines and learning how to love people who were their critics. And in that way, they were displaying the same attitude of their Lord. And so when people saw it, they said, those people must be Christians. Those people must be followers of Christ because that's how we heard him talk. And that's, why we, that's how we saw him act. And that's what we saw him do. And they're doing the same things that we saw him do. And that we say, they're saying the same things that we heard him say. Those folk must be Christians. And what if, what if this broken, divided culture, what if these people in this land who don't know what to do and don't know how to get together and don't know how to love each other and don't know how to care about each other, what if the people in this land saw a church that was acting like its Lord? that was doing the same things that his Lord did, that was saying the same things that his Lord said, the world might say, those folk must be Christians. Those folk must be followers of Christ. They have to be. Because they're doing what he did. Because they're loving people across the lines of division, because they're helping those who are in need, because they're providing for the poor and needy, even those who are their critics, they're providing for them and loving them with the love of Christ. Amen, people of God. Putting these patterns into practice requires teams, it requires a mindset of oneness, a mindset in which we spur each other on to love and good deeds. We simply need to continue to encourage one another down this path of ethnic unity. We need to encourage one another in generosity, in perseverance, and in being witness for Christ to our neighbors, especially those from among the nations whom God has set in our local community. And as I said earlier in the sermon, this is not easy work. The potential for misunderstanding and sinful actions that divide, it's all too real. And so we need the encouragement and we need to give that encouragement to each other to keep practicing these patterns that build us up in cross-culture community in Christ. Brothers and sisters, the pursuit of ethnic unity confronts us with obstacles to overcome, and it confronts us with patterns to practice. None of this is possible apart from the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to believe the good news of the gospel. By believing the gospel, we can overcome the obstacles. By believing the gospel, we can put into practice the patterns that lead to ethnic unity. And so may God in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, keep working in us to build us up here at New City into that kind of church and build His church, His church throughout the world to be this kind of community, to the glory of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen, people of God. Amen.